You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. Hope you all had a great weekend. Welcome to Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Conning, Dennis Dick. we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about naked shorts and the prevalence of of that or not in AMC. Uh, Biogen is moving ahead of that FDA decision that we expect is coming, uh, frankly, any time now, today or, or tomorrow, we are expecting to, to get the Biogen news. So we're going to talk about the stock into that. Uh, a lot of crypto news over the weekend coming out of that conference down in Miami. Uh, we'll talk about that. We do have an M&A deal as well. Uh, we can get there if we have time. Uh, two guests. Uh, oh, we also have the Russell Reconstitution for Friday. So maybe, maybe AMC and GameStop are joining the Russell large cap. The Russell 1000 Index, maybe. We'll find out in a few weeks. Uh, two guests on the docket for today. First up at 8.35 is Tim Quast. He is the founder of Modern IR and Market Structure Edge. He will go on the show and give us his market structure thoughts on everything and, and anything. And then at 9, we've got Matt Hammond, who will preview the week in IPOs for us. He is from IPO Warriors. Before I throw it to Joel, everyone, do us a quick favor. Hit that like button. Hit subscribe. We crossed 100,000 subs on Friday, and now we have to get to a million subs, and we are on our way. So give us a a subscribe. Give us a like. And now, Joel, how was your weekend? That was a very exciting Belmont Stakes I watched. Uh, Good morning, Spencer. And, uh, of course, I don't talk about the Belmont. I know. We didn't talk about it on the show. We didn't talk about it on the At The Close show. And I finally picked a winner. Finally picked Essential Quality. You know how I hate to go with the favorite. I went with the favorite along with a couple other horses in uh, Perfecta, and it paid $15. So whoopee, but I had it a few times, and better than getting uh, less than two to one in the payout on essential quality. But, hey, a blind scroll, I broke my streak, my losing streak in the Triple Crown races. 
Made a few dollars, no big deal. Besides that, I want to say happy birthday to my mother-in-law, 84 years old today. Wow. And uh, Lisa cooked up some ribs and salmon. Oh, my God, cooked up a storm. I did some cleaning up. So happy birthday, Grandma, if you're listening. My favorite mother-in-law of all time. Uh, to the S&P futures markets, we're flat here. This is called 28 and a quarter. Nick, Friday's high, strong close, 32.50, 32 even, double top if you want, 38 and a quarter, the old time high. Crude, just hanging out. We did hit 70, but we're down to dime in 69.52. Gold still struggling with 1,900, down 430 at 1,887.80. Silver, that's down 20 cents at 27.70. Bitcoin. Wake me up when it breaks out of the 35 to 40K range. These bases to futures going back over two weeks now. Big move coming in Bitcoin. Ethereum up $131 at 2833. Let's bring in Triple D. And as usual, on a Monday, he has fired up from his Twitter feed over the weekend. Triple D. How was your week? I read too now much you... Twitter on the weekend, I think, and that's I... what fires me up. And I come in with these fiery Monday morning segments because I see so much uninformed opinions out there that people are passing around as fact. And, you know, we, we're going to get into the naked short selling talk in just a minute here um, because it really is not common practice. We're going to replay a clip from three months ago when we had Bill Hartz on this show who very clearly explained why GMEs short interest got up over 100% and how that's possible without naked short selling. We're going to talk about buy-ins, what your broker does when they don't have the stock to, um, uh, to to borrow anymore. So we'll get into that in a second. But back to your original question, weekend was good. Beautiful weekend. Sunny, kids were playing on the beach. It was a beautiful weekend. 90 degrees up in Georgia Ooh. Bay for this time of year. That is hot. What about the water? How warm is the water? Oh, the water's cold. We went and the kids were in. I bet the water's, I didn't like, I don't have a temperature of it, but I would think probably Georgian Bay 65, maybe, <laughs> may, maybe, maybe 70 in some oh. spots when you first put your feet in where it's only like a foot deep. But as you go deeper, it gets colder. So it's still cool. The water's cool. I mean, there was ice in the water seven weeks ago. So it's cool. It's definitely not 70 degrees. It might be, it might be 65. It's cool. That's cold. And and in other news is my cottage is actually getting bulldozed this morning right now as we speak. My wife is supposed to be taking a video of it because I didn't want to miss you guys. So I am here for you even when my cottage is getting bulldozed as we speak. The, the excavator is right there with his big claw ready to just attack it. So we'll see. That's going down today. All right. So do you want to attack this uh, educational piece here to get started? Should we cover the Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Because some people wanted to just uh, we'll, we'll get it out of the way. So all through the weekend, I'm seeing naked short selling, naked short selling. People are just running rampant Wall Street, just doing whatever the hell they want. There's no repercussions. All these naked shorts are going to get squeezed. What I want to tell you, the shorts might get squeezed, but there really isn't a lot of naked short selling in practice. And when I tweet that out, the first response to me is, if there's no naked short selling, how does GME get up to 130% short interest? So what we quickly want to do is replay a clip because we don't need to re-explain this. We explained this all in the show three and a half months ago. I'm going to take it a little bit farther, but Bill Hartz uh, from Modern Markets Initiative fantastically explained on our show three months ago 
how short interest can get above 130 or 100% on a stock and there isn't naked short selling. So let's listen to Bill. Tell me if you can hear it. Telling me that there could be another answer. Yeah, there's a lot of confusion about this and hopefully I can clear it up somewhat. The reason you often see in certain stocks, short interest of greater than 100% has to do with something called rehypothecation of stock. Let me explain it with maybe a, a quick example. To sell stock, first you go out and borrow it from someone, then you go out into the market and you sell it. Let's say you just sold short 100 shares by following that process. When you do that, your broker reports that its customer is short 100 shares. So far, so good. But this is what's important to understand. The person who bought those 100 shares from you doesn't know that you sold short. That information, it doesn't appear on any of the execution or clearing messages that the broker receives. So the buyer naturally assumes he owns it free and clear. Once it's in his account, it then becomes available to lend out to a short seller again. So what happens if your buyer then lends that stock out and it's sold short again? Well, that broker also reports that its customers short 100 shares. And so the stats now are going to show short interest of 200 shares when it's really the same 100 shares that were sold twice. Okay, but that chain can't go on forever, right? It can only go on that extra loop. No, actually, it could go on again and again and again. And, and <laughs> really? Wait, wait. That's basically it. Unless you want me to keep going. I want you to keep going, the two keep minutes. Going? Because, right, I'll, because I'll, this is an educational. Yeah, keep, keep going. going, Bill. I'll keep going. I'd say go to the four minute mark. So give him another give him another two minutes. We love Bill Hart. We're going back on for the real? show. Soon. Let yeah. me just point out. So there have been times when there have been some ETFs, for example, that have reported short interest of more than 1,000%. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. You just like blew my mind. That changed. That's, that's awesome. Wait, 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 wait. I always thought that you can lend shares at one time. No, because think about it. In each time, the buyer has no idea that the stock was short in the first place. Has every right to relend it if he wants. <laughs> and looking at this and they're saying, oh, it's the Wild West and it's all the evil hedge funds that are doing naked shorting here. This is your answer right here. It makes complete sense. I mean, you know, you can't disclose that, you know, oh, I shorted it to you because talk about that part of it. You might ask the question, well, why why don't we we require brokers to tell the buyers that, yeah, this was short and you cannot relend it again. Let's say you're the short seller. Do you want the buyer to know that you're short? I mean, you know, maybe you don't care for 100 shares or 200 shares. What what if you're shorting, you know, 100,000 shares or or 50,000 shares or whatever? You probably don't want the buyer to know that you're short. And by the way, if the buyer does know that you're short, he'll have some information that the rest of the market doesn't have. And that's somewhat unfair as well. So there are a lot of reasons why this is such a, a tough, intractable problem. But I guess people should know that there are a lot of smart people that are working on, you know, different solutions for this. You know, sometimes it's interesting to drop onto uh, Twitter once in a while. There's a group of market structure nerds that often discuss these types of things and they bounce ideas off each other and, and so on. It shouldn't blow anyone's mind per se, although it can be a problem in a short squeeze as we saw with GME. This just, you know, dispels that, you know, myth there that everybody's doing naked short selling. I mean, Bill, you know a lot of people in the industry too. I mean, this is low hanging fruit for a regulator. If you're not getting locates on your stocks, this is something they're looking for and something they can easily track and easily find. And obviously, if you're you know, doing it to a detriment to the market, you could go to jail for this. I mean, this is like not something that is common to just have naked shorts. And they crack down on this stuff after the financial crisis. And I tell you, they audit traders. You know, they'll come in there and make sure they have their locates. I keep all my locates. I keep a record of these things on my PC 
for a prolonged period of time, just in case I get an audit. For most retail investors, the broker basically does all that legwork for them. And But you're right, it's important. It's easy for the regulators to spot. And so it generally doesn't happen. What are your that's it. Okay, that's good. So taking it back. So, and I know this from experience. I mean, we have audits that happen to our firm of Bright Trading as well, and they check this stuff. So before the financial crisis, 2007, 2008, there wasn't the crackdown on this. Dodd, Frank, and all that changed it. And they really started crack down because short selling really got a bad rap when we saw stocks falling and Bear Stearns falling and they didn't want naked short selling happening and people potentially knocking stocks down before 2007. They really cracked down on this. And it's to a point where if you're short a stock, and people don't know this too, I'm going to talk about buy-ins here. If you're short a stock, let's say you're just happily short a stock, um, you've borrowed, you've got the borrow, it's good. All of a sudden, the original person who borrowed, they borrowed from sold that stock and the inventory is no longer with the prime broker. They will send you a warning and saying, look, we cannot locate more stock for you and you have to cover this by four o'clock or we will buy you in on the close. We were, Then they send you a buy-in notice, it's called. Um, at Interactive Brokers, they usually give you about one hour um, where they say, we can't locate it, we can't find it, by 350, we're giving you notice that we are going to enter your account and physically buy the stock back in the open market. So that's how much the prime brokers are protective of this because not only the trader gets fined, the broker gets fined as well. I've had buy-ins happen to me lots of times. I short stocks and it's like, I get that notice and I'm, Ugh. I'm like, I want to be short this stock. And I know I have to go cover it right now because if I don't do it. Or the they broker, will. The broker will physically go into my account and execute a buy and buy the stock back at usually a horrible price. They won't work it. They don't work No, they just open market, market order, you are out. That happens some thin in stuff practice. Sometimes. This happened to me dozens of times over the course of the last 12 years. So I know this happens. Buy-ins occur. Can you imagine, you know, your shortest stock and, you know, your new, and, and, the, and the broker enters your account and buys it back? That's how strict it is. And we're passing around all this nonsense on, you know, on social media here about naked short selling running rampant. It's not happening, folks. This is misinformation. This does not happen in practice. Could it, could there be a naked short sell out there? Could there be one? Yeah, but the major prop firms, the major volume makers, Citadel, they're not running around doing a lot of naked short selling. They're going to say, oh, yeah, we have some fines from the past. They're fines. Is, could there be isolated incidences? Yeah, probably, but it isn't common practice that everybody's just running around and doing naked short selling and it's the Wild West because there's fines for that and potential jail sentences for that. You can't be doing naked short selling, not since 2008, not since the financial crisis. And and probably the bigger you are, right, and the bigger your positions, the probably more scrutiny that you're under. Right. I mean, the, the big the big positions are noticed and, and reporting. Let's just go into another real life example here. And I'm uh, and I'm bummed because I can't bring up the charts because they yeah. uh, because of the merger. But there was a situation where the Viacom and the Viacom B, I believe at the time, got so out of whack because yeah. you, what was it? Uh, what was his name? Summer Redstone and the Redstone family Redstone had like 90 percent of the of the VIA at one time. And I honestly think, like, we all got buy-in notices. So there's a lot of traders. VIA, if you go, it's called VIACA and VIAC now. And these two stocks are the same company. One has voting rights and one does not. So they typically, the one with the voting rights trades a little bit above the other one. But they track each other very closely because it's the same company. It's share class arbitrage. 
But about five, six years ago, and some of you traders, you know, the, the professional ones out there that are listening probably remember this. VIA all of a sudden became hard to borrow. We couldn't get locates on the street. I got a notice as well because I would trade the spread. I'd short if VIA went up too high, I would short it against the VIAB and it would come back in, you know, and that's how the market stays efficient. They track each other because as it gets away, shorts will come in to bring it back in. They keep the market efficient. Well, what happens is when you all of a sudden get one that is, you know, not able to borrow, um, it starts to throw all that efficiency out the door. So everybody gets a buy-in notice that, okay, we can't get locates. And it went on for like a week and a half. There was no locates. And what happened was, is VIAB and VIA, which typically was trading on three-point spread, blew out to 20 points. I remember. And people are like, what's going on? I can tell you what's going on. We got buy-in notices. There's no available stock to short VIA. So nobody can keep the price in line. Buy-ins are driving the price higher. Because, you know, maybe there was a little bit on the street. Maybe people are scrambling. They're trying to find a little bit. But as it become harder and harder to borrow, that it's driving the price higher and higher. What happens afterwards? You know, eventually it just comes back down. And everybody who bought VIA at a very, you know, VIA versus VIAB at this higher price got burned because eventually it came back in. But that was because there was no stock to borrow. I honestly think maybe Redstone said, look. I don't want people showing my stock. I'm not lending it out anymore. And he was like 90% of the shares. So, you know, you're scrambling around with the other 10 trying to find it. We also saw it with DISCB. Um, this is one that is not widely right. This is traded. more recent. This is more yeah, recent. This is back in March. Um, there's not much arbitrage that goes here because there's literally like one Finn. very little stock to borrow. But two, um, it's, you know, just not really tracked. If you look, DISCA and DISCK trade very close to, to each other. They're very widely traded. There's a lot of volume on them. The locates are readily available. DISCB is loosely connected, but because it's the same company, but because you know there's just not the stock out there, like it doesn't even trade very much, there's no professional traders that are keeping that price in line. So that's why it can just kind of have these explosions where all of a sudden somebody gets on and it can really explode, but then it comes back down. So what happens is the people who are buying it back at the end of March are getting burned because there's no it, it's inefficient it's an inefficient market because people can't borrow stock to keep the price in line so that's you know the big thing what shorts do is they keep the market efficient they keep pricing efficient could you imagine if your spy 500 components just traded spy didn't equal the s p futures and the, <laughs> and the components didn't equal the s p you, can you imagine that ARKK didn't trade? We didn't have the mechanics, you know, of the of you know the the arbitrage in there, and ARKK didn't trade, you know, anywhere near its nav. It just traded for whatever price. That asset value is. Yeah, it's shorts that keep those prices in line because as it gets higher, they can short the stocks and then deliver those stocks and buy back the index. So it's shorts that keep the prices in line. So we know we want this narrative. A lot of people want this narrative. The shorting is evil. It's un-American. Why would anybody do it? Short selling, the honest truth, is keeps the market more efficient. You know, it reduces those huge bubbles that we get. It's, you know, in, in, the, in the event of a market crash, and I was tweeting with Herb Greenberg last night. He's like, you get these free falling stocks. Do you want to know who is the first person to buy during a market crash because when the market's crashing nobody wants to buy you know Shorts. who stops the market crash the Shorts. short seller because he's exiting the trade so he's putting bids in there liquidity. saying i'll come in and Adding then liquidity. more liquidity and then it's like oh there's some buyers here so the short sellers in the event of a free fall actually are often the first people to buy 
so that you actually see, you know, some people come and, you know, other people come in then as buyers. Okay, I'm confident because there's a bid here all of a sudden I can lean on. And then you have other people come in. Short selling serves a lot of purposes that a lot of people don't want to believe, but it keeps the markets more efficient. All right. When will CNBC have Bill Hanson? Can we can we get an over under? There's that? A, there's a hold on. There's some questions in the chat. What, sure, what, let's get them. Then what about like fails to deliver? Can you explain how that fits into the? When story? you have a fail to deliver, so I mean, it, it what happens even in buy-ins is it'll be a fail. That's what really is starting the buy-in. All of a sudden, the stock is not available to locate. The bro- prime broker will get a notice. We don't have the stock here so all of a sudden let's you know we've got to buy the stock back in so we'll enter the account the brokerages don't want to get fined this is what people don't understand the broker gets fined for this too they could especially on a retail level i mean they're not going to go find the retail trader because this is all handled behind the scenes at a prop firm you know you can get your own locates you're doing some things i mean it's a different story that they can find the individual traders are licensed you know they've written some sec exams or, or regulatory exams some FINRA exams they know what is going on so they can find those individual traders you typically don't see a retail trader get fined so if you're like at a company like interactive brokers they don't want to, you know, Petterfee doesn't want to get a bunch of fines from, you know, fails to deliver. So he gets a notice of fail to deliver. He's going to the account and buying it in. So they're not carrying it. So, I mean, and, and, and in some cases, you, and it might just be that they had a locate and they all of a sudden don't have the locate now. Or maybe they were, you know, it's, it's when, when you get a locate to short a stock, it's not just for the day you're executing it, Spencer. You have to continue to have that locate. If you're short the stock, it has to be continued to be able to be continued borrowed. Not just for the time of execution, but for the whole time you're holding it. So you could be holding this for a month. All of a sudden, we can't borrow it anymore. Well, you've got to cover it in because we don't have the shares anymore. There's a fail to deliver there. We don't have it now. So now we've got to go and to avoid regulatory fines. We've got to go in the account and buy those stocks. And so fails to deliver lead to buy-ins, which I was just talking about. So, I mean, I I guess people are have, are looking at the uh, the data from the SEC and saying there's a lot of fails to deliver all the time, and those lead to buy-ins. So, are we seeing the buy-in? You know, are we seeing that data in the SEC data? Those lead to buy-ins. That's the next step. When you get a fail to deliver, the broker goes in and buys in the stock. So fails to what people don't understand fails to deliver can occur not just from nefarious activities it just occurs because it can occur because the original buyer sold a stock the original person who was in your brokerage house that you borrowed the stock from they don't know that you've borrowed the stock from them there's no like communication between you and the original buyer you borrowed the stock from all of a sudden that broker doesn't have the inventory he sells the stock or she sells the stock all of a sudden well okay well you're short the stock there's no stock to borrow here now because that original lender sent it. We don't know who who that is on the other side. Maybe there's a lender that doesn't lend stock. You know, you don't have to lend your stock out. So all of a sudden, now we have a fail to deliver because we have no, you, you're short the stock, which has just been sold. So there's not there. So we have a fail to deliver. So we've got to come in your account and buy your stock in. Prime brokerages are not in this business to get fines. They cover themselves. That's why you get buy-in notices. That's why me... And if you're doing it in interactive brokers, you can be on a retail level. You're shorting stock, and it's you're not going to get this on Apple. You're not going to get this on Microsoft. You get in some small little like DISCB. It happened on Viacom, which was a little bit rare to happen on a stock that's widely traded as VIACA. But you get into some thinner stocks. They might just be borrowing from one or two other people, and they'll lend it. And all of a sudden, that seller sells. Now you got to fail to deliver. Now you got to go do a buy-in. So fails to deliver lead to buy-ins. Uh, 20, These mechanics have been around ago, for a long absolutely. time. Absolutely. 
20 these years ago. have been around for a long time. I mean, it's like yeah. these guys think they're discovering like, you know, kryptonite or something. I mean, this is, this is market structure. This is what Dennis has been studying for the past 20 years. This it's is not even studying. Yeah. It's what I do in practice. I mean, I'm doing this stuff. I get buy-in notices. They're not fun. I hate getting a buy-in notice. I might be bearish a stock and thinking it should come in and it might come in. I might be right. And I have no choice. I get that buy-in notice. I have no choice. If they can't locate the stock, like I said, they usually give you an hour warning. Interactive brokers, I know you get it about an hour before. And people have interactive brokers who short stock might know what I'm talking about. And then 10 minutes before, like, we cannot locate it. We're coming in your account. We're buying it in. So if you don't do it, we're going to do it. So you know, like, and, and it's a horrible feeling because if it's a stock that might be, you know, a little Thin. more widely shorted, it can actually drive the price higher. You get those buy notices and you're like, oh, this is going to go up on the close. A lot of people have probably got to cover this right now. If you think, but you know, in most cases, it's not that wide, but sometimes it happens where you actually see, and in the VIACA case, or VIA, uh, it was VIA back then. I mean, that ran for days as the buy ins were just coming in. I saw some preferred stock do the same thing too. Um, I can remember it was like these preferred stocks, you know, these stocks trade like 25, 25. This thing exploded like $35 on a close one day, and people are like, what happened? There's a buy in notice. We knew that on the street. It was a buy in notice an hour ago. So everybody's really thin. There was not a lot of stock available, and they had to just take it way high to get everybody done. Quick so question. Do happen in practice. Quick question, uh, and I can get my answer. You can give yours, Dennis. So why are brokers limiting shorts then? I would say, no, number one, they probably don't have the stock because you can make they can make some money on oh, yeah, lending, they and lending. They can make some big money lending it's big out money made lending stock it's yeah. a business big, a big it's business. a big money business big so, business so if they and big rates i mean what did the rate get up to twitter like going into like the lockup uh the first lockup expiration so if they have the stock you know they and they don't pass that on to the customer it's like no you know uh discount or anything so that that's my answer one uh triple d you want to add to that i just want i just want to say like somebody's saying if you're so confident i, 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 was, about, selling, I was about why, to say why, why not why not go and short amc stock big mouth that's what somebody just said to me in the chat <laughs> yeah. well it's nothing to do with where i think the stock's going to go i'm telling you the reason you know that amc is driving up it's not naked short selling it's getting squeezed it's hype it's 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 fomo it's people you know just driving price it's not short, naked short sellers getting squeezed that's not the reason amc is going up here there's not a bunch of buy-in notices on AMC. AMC is not even that difficult to borrow, I don't believe. Like I've shorted, it's not like even a hard stock. To, it might be, it might not be easy to borrow, but you can get a locate on it. So it's nothing to do with where price is going to go. What I'm trying to tell you is this narrative that you know we're breaking the naked shorts. There's probably not a lot of naked shorts in AMC. You, you, and maybe it's going to continue to go higher. I have no idea where AMC price is going to go. I've said on this show, if you've been listening for the last two weeks, when price is disconnected from fundamentals, it can go anywhere. Price can go absolutely anywhere. Why would I short a rocket ship? Why would I short a stock that was going straight up? Now, AMC gets more interesting because it does look like it's topped out to a certain extent, but we don't know. We saw GME. It looks like it's pulling in and then it explodes again. So, so to answer your question, I have absolutely no idea where price is going on AMC. It's a Dennis, hard stock wanna, to predict because it's not connected to fundamentals. I want to apologize because um, on the show Friday, I was looking at the 15-minute chart, and I said, I, oh, I, I think it's coming in. I think the range might be 45 to 50-ish, and I was wrong. 
I was wrong on the upside. It was forty. It was forty-six to fifty-seven fifty. So That's I really call the I, under ten-point range. You almost got it. Yeah, I want to. I want to apologize to anybody out there. Uh, and I, what I'm seeing right now is, you know, and this is even tighter. You know, forty-six to fifty-two. I mean, this thing is going to wind. This it. Wait, we had an inside day, and then another inside day. Could we have a third inside day in a row? I don't know, but it just, it, it's coming in and the arbs are getting a hold, you know, that they're trading the order flow and it's just, it's just getting tight. And also another thing, folks, you gotta, gotta take into considerations. People are coming in and they're like, I'm buying the 70 calls for four bucks. Market maker says sold to you. They come in and they hedge it with the stock and they could care less whether it goes to 75 yeah. or 45. They're locked in their hedge. They do hedge. They're hedged. There's so much hedging going on right now in the options market that they don't care if they need a hundred thousand to buy and you know be you know to offset an option order. They're just coming in, bam, 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 bam. And then with absolutely no no care for where the stock is going in. They're just locking in their teenies. They're locking in their 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 points. So a lot of other dynamics going into this stock just then, you know, the apes versus the evil shorts. So much more going on in there. That, uh, I mean, everybody says there's there's a lot of AMC promoters in the chat right now, and a lot of people are giving us hate. I'm not even talking about even AMC why they're stock. Here. Why I'm are talking they here? about naked oh, short he, selling. He, he's not even saying this. I'm not even saying I think AMC. I said, I, I said on this show it could go to 1,000. It can go anywhere. I'm not trading AMC. It's on its own. It's doing its own thing. We've had analysts drop coverage of it because it's not trading with fundamentals. Stocks don't trade with fundamentals, and this happens. This isn't the first time it's happened, folks. Tilray wasn't trading fundamentally either when it went from 15 to 300. So usually fundamentals win in the end, but I don't know. Maybe we're in a new dynamic. Maybe you guys are going to win. Maybe it's going to go to $500,000. It could. I'm not saying it can't. I'm not even talking about AMC performance. So I'm not talking down you know, your stock here. What I'm talking about is the narrative that naked short selling is running rampant in AMC and we're going to squeeze them all is wrong. It's just not, it's not in practice here. I mean, you know, as prop firms, we kind of know what's going on. I mean, you know, we're not like, we're being accused that we're all in here. Hedge funds are all in here, naked short selling AMC. And I'm telling them not, they're getting fined for it. But, you know, you can have your other, you know, obviously the stock's trading for a lot of other reasons. I'm telling you, it's not naked short selling. That's a good thing for you guys. It's not buy-ins driving this. I highly doubt it's buy-ins driving this. This is getting driven by real buyers. So when those real buyers end is the question. But it's actually a good thing because, you know what? If you're driving just a buy-in bus, when the buy-ins end, the stock price collapses. But I'm telling you, this is not a buy-in bus here where this is probably actually real buyers in here. Now, I don't know when the real buyers end. I don't know when the real sellers outnumber the real buyers. I'm not going to speculate on that. I'm just saying the narrative that naked short selling is driving AMC's price higher, that they're covering and squeezing them in is not right. That's all. All right. All right. I Two quick things, and then I'm going to move on. One, someone in the chat said uh, fails to deliver data is not available. Yes, it is. It's all on the SEC's website. I put the link in chat or just Google. Oh, good. Just Google fails to deliver. The data, is, it, it lags. Obviously, it's not real time, right? That Duh. But you, you can see that data. And the second thing is TD Ameritrade uh, restricting um, – uh, clients basically you can't buy amc on margin and that's to protect their own ass as much as, as it's to protect other people so they're just trying to protect themselves you know what the worst thing about all this is what? that we're not we're not really not be able to give our, our listening audience good content okay so let's move on let's move on fine um 
Although interestingly, it enough, is good content, Dennis. I don't want to. I don't want to. No, I mean, I know it's a important thing. I, I'm just. I mean, we just spent. And I'm not going to swear. I think we needed to. We needed to do this, though. We Every once in a while, we need to like give out some educational content. We love to talk stocks. We love to give opinions on stocks. We love to talk what's moving, the action, where the action's going to be this week. There's so much action in AMC we're talking about every You're day because right, there's just a lot of action in these stocks. So we talk where the action is. Do you I, to- I agree. I agree. No, it's good. It's a different slant on things, Dennis. I know you, know, I know you love doing it, and I'm doing it. I'm just, you know, just... Kind of AMC. I kind of want to go to the movies now. Get some free popcorn. I do too. Okay. Well, let's <laughs> let's go to the movies. Let's go to the Biogen movie here. Yeah. This is going to be right. a good movie Stock here number tonight. Two. Biogen. <laughs> and predictably, again, we talk about the run-ups into the event. Look at what has happened here. Biogen, we know, is going to get the decision on their Alzheimer's drug here. Is it due? To, it's due today, is it not? It's due today. I, I thought it would have been out by now. Not out yet. Could come anytime. Probably, I would think they bring it after the close now, but maybe not. So anyways, you can see the big move on Friday. 273 up to 291. Now up to 296. Lots of speculation ahead of this event. Again, we try to give you actionable trading ideas. I talk about run-ups into events. You know, usually you get... Before the event, you get a run-up into the event. Classic example. We talked about this last week with Bajan, saying it potentially could run up into this event. We have exactly seen that. Two days of run-up into this event to the tune of going up over 10% into the event here. So does the drug get approved? I own Biogen shares. I've had it for a long time, a long-term portfolio. I hope it does. I doubt it does. Um, Like I said, I think the downside is probably 50 to 70 points. If it doesn't get approved, I think the upside would be hundreds of points. I do not think it's going to get approved. I don't even think the downside. Yeah, that but they much, could. There's but... so many in between. Just first of all, I you're, wrote you're about... right, Joel. There's yep. a good point. Yeah, in between. I wrote about this uh, on premarketprep.com over a week ago, and I saw all the selling pressure in the week before. So, like, all the nervous people, like, they sold it. This wasn't, this was the week before. Put a little triple bottom in, right? And undercut and rally. And people are like, man, I don't want to be short going into this thing. And you talk about issues with an upcoming catalyst. So once it started going, you started finding buyers, you know, down here. And then they they don't care about the outcome. They see the formation. They see the breakout of the quad top. They trade it. And they're probably out of it. They knew they identified the catalyst. They looked at the technical formation. And they're flat, dumb, and happy now. If it goes to, you know, maybe they're holding a few shares. If it goes to 350, you know, and maybe, you know, it, it depends what your options positions are. But that's what, you know, Dennis talks about is issues with a catalyst. And this was actually, I, I noticed this a little, not this weekend, but the weekend before. So you had to sell, you had the nervous sellers, you had that, you know, fortuitous buyers, and now you have the result. They also could come out, well, and I think this is what happened last time. Well, we're not approving it, but if you do one more trial and you do A, B, and C, right? And then the other thing I just want to, uh, they've been talking about this drug for a long time. And we were on the show, we were covering it. This was when the initial news came out. And this was back in 2015. It went to $480 on that day when the initial, hey, we're working on this drug. So it's been around a long time. They spent a lot of money on it. I don't know what else they have in the pipeline. You know, just, Lots. you know, yeah, who knows? Huge I mean, company. yeah, yeah, it's a big company. So. But it's we'll not going to break happens. them if they doesn't get approved. No. And, and 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 the and the panel's recommendation, Spencer, if I believe back to the end of last year, was to not approve. Correct? They had a panel 
and the stocks fell significantly. You can see the big spike in the chart. It would have been back on November the 6th when the stock went up to 243 to 363 because of speculation the panel was going to approve it. And then they they said they would that their their recommendation was to not approve. And then you see the subsequent collapse the next day. But there so, was something. It was weird though, because something came out on this day. Didn't it someone weird. come out on this day and say, "Looking good," you it, know? It was what, what Dennis is referring to is November, I believe, right? I yeah. got it right here. The big spike to three hundred and sixty. Right. That was that people were saying, "Oh my goodness, it might get approved." Yes. And the next day, it was like, "Oh no, it's probably not going to get approved." <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that was on November sixth. We they, they voted eight to one uh, against approving it. So. Um, but we're going to get a decision today. So I would have, again, I would have thought it would have been out by now. I'm surprised. I guess if it's not out by 930, then it'll be out after the close. I guess that's that's all I can go Are they, they going to halt it or not? Or they can just halt it. They could. Uh, they could do that. So if you're trading Biogen, just be aware, major, and I mean of the serious nature, material news will be coming, supposed yeah. to be coming today. Yes. So it could happen anytime you're day trading Biogen. Be very careful. You could get caught on the wrong side of the news. You might get caught on the right side of the news, too. When a stock halts, like I've been in random halts before, I was like, well, it's 50-50. Is it going to be good or bad? <laughs> sometimes it's good, and it's like, oh, yeah, that worked out well. And sometimes it's bad, and it's like, ugh. So, All right. Anyways. It's 836 on Monday. Which means Tim didn't quit. He didn't quit us after this conversation. Not yet. Tim Quas joins the show now. He is the founder of Modern IR and Market Structure Edge. Joins us every Monday except when there's holidays. Tim, how are we doing? Long time no talk. Yeah, good to see you guys. I'm going through withdrawals, uh, <laughs> but but not from market structure. Okay. My uh, my trainer, the great Charlie C. Uh, decided to go on hiatus for June and July. And, and I should tell you, so Charlie, is the, he's got a degree in applied mathematics and he was the founder of a quantitative hedge fund uh, that he and his partners sold. Uh, and the algorithms behind it have become the algorithms that robo-advisors use. And so, I mean, so what other trainer would I choose but a quant math guy? Right? So... <laughs> Sense. So uh, and so he you know he just trains for fun and uh, that's what you want to do with Edge you know use Edge so you can do whatever you want for fun that's the idea but I I heard your I heard your discussion about Biogen at least a part of it yeah and uh, and Dennis I thought you're you what know, do you what are the what's the market structure look like going into this event and how do you approach I mean, when you when you're going to get a major event like this it's going to yes. move price way up or way down. Right. Um, does the market structure on this matter, or is it like, or does it? Can it predict it to a certain extent? I'm just I'm, question to you. Yes. Well, it will show a, a, the the very advice that you gave, Dennis and and Joel. It's funny that you mentioned five because uh, Biogen is very routinely a five, and you want to. Those are great stocks to hold. If you you hold, you know things do well, they deliver consistent market like returns. If they're five. Uh, around five, you know, if they bounce up to ten, they're good trading stocks. If they just stay at five, they're not great great trading stocks, but they're great stocks to hold. And here I'll show you. And uh, if you're following along at home uh, in the easy chair, go to to marketstructureedge.com and you can sign up for free and uh, do the same thing. Put in BIIB in a uh, in a portfolio, and I'll show you exactly what we're talking about here. Uh, here we are. Let me remove my own face from the screen. Uh, so here it is, June 7th, day after uh, the anniversary of D-Day. 
by the way, June 6, 1944, uh, was D-Day. So here's Biogen. And, and see, Joel, how it's a five, five, no matter what the price does. Now, how can that be? Because the, the big, big institutional dollars tend to reweight out of and back into Biogen. And so what, because uh, market structure sentiment, this algorithm we use to help us determine when to come and go is based not just on price and supply and demand, but the behaviors behind it. So if those behaviors keep reverting to the mean, so does market structure sentiment. And it will tell you that as long as it's a five, you stay in it. Here before the news, look at that. It's the first point over this period of time, 30 tra uh, trading days. And we can go back, Spencer, to look at what happened no in November uh, when the, the board, the, I forget what, it, you know, the FDA voted yeah. against it. But uh, here's where we are right ahead of the news. It is actually a 1.8, meaning it is bottomed, and you want to buy sentiment that ticks up. Then notice short volume. Short volume jumped up from a trend of about 38% of trading volume all the way pretty close to 50%, 48%. That is an exact straddle, Dennis. <laughs> it will tell us that, that, uh, that uh, traders and big institutions both have hedged themselves long and short, puts and calls, swaps for, swaps against. If I, and big cool. money is going, is going to use swaps to say, if, if anything goes wrong, I'm handing the mm -hmm. risk of this to Goldman Sachs or whomever. But that's what it tells you. I would say based on that, that the bias is positive. Here's why. Sentiment is all the way bottomed and short volume is not all the way to 50%. If there's a slight advantage, it's to buyers based on that data. But let's expand it out. So if we go back with six months, it's not going to take us all the way back. Let's take a year. So let's go back to November. There's that really bizarre move, right? And so interestingly, into that, sentiment was rising. Short volume was very low. Everybody got caught by that. That's what it tells us, that I think the, the traders thought that this would get approved then, and it didn't happen. Uh, you you know what what could you have done as a trader? Stayed right where you were. That's <laughs> the honest truth. You'd have still lost this much, but it bounced right back, and sentiment would tell you that. Then here's a here's the awesome entry point. You know when the sentiment recovered here, you could stay all the way till it dips below five. Leave. Wait for your next entry point here. You could leave here, come back here, and you say, well, why would I do that? Because you capture all the gains and avoid the losses. And that's uh, the point. You know, <laughs> yep, that's exactly the point. That is exactly the point. So let's go oh. on to the other stock. So obviously we got Biogen. It's going to be a major mover today. I want to see the market structure sentiment on AMC now here because this stock is all over the place and everybody is talking about it. I honestly, I have no idea how to predict the next price move in AMC. We do know um, there's flying around on the weekend that it is likely to go into the Russell um, or it, it, because obviously um, it's, What's that, Spencer? Russell 1000. It's going to go into yeah. the, the large cap. Yeah, from most, the small cap because it's based like, on market cap. It so, is. Most likely. And, 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 and realize that the benchmark for uh, the, the Russell indices, the, the initial benchmark was here, was May 7th this year. Now we're unfolding all the subsequent steps. And Russell shakes that up every year a little bit to keep people guessing. So where, is, where it lands, 
will not be reflective of, of where it is now. It will be reflective of where it was then. However, uh, it's important. This is a very important thing for traders to know. 95% of market cap is in the Russell 1000. About 5% is in the Russell 2000. That's why if there's any kind of movement of money into the Russell 2000, boom, it moves up very rapidly because it's a very small part of market cap. But the bulk of money is here. And we, I will tell our corporate customers that whatever you're trying to do, if you're going to be a public company, you need to be in the Russell 1000 because that's where the money is. It's what Willie Sutton used to say uh, when he was asked, well, why do you rob banks, Willie Sutton? And he said, because that's <laughs> where the money is, right? So yeah. if, you, if you're going to be a public company, you need to have market cap north of $5 billion to be in the Russell 1000. Uh, so they're going to be there. There's no question about that. Now, to your question about market structure, here's the beautiful thing about, to me, about market structure. It is not swayed by incredible moves. It's still going to tell you when things are overbought or oversold. And it does it very consistently. And I will look at the sentiment trend, and it's been bouncing against the ceiling for a long time. And look at short volume. Those two things will tell us a great deal. Here's an interesting little tidbit about AMC. So we developed that Modern IR in 2005 developed a set of data points that we have been tracking ever since then. Here it is 2021. One of those is the how many times a stock trades per day. And uh, we have limits. Those the fields with which we populate data are finite. You know, we can't, we don't want just infinite fields uh, in the databases and the warehouses, data warehouses. Well, AMC last week broke that data. I mean, it's an easy thing for us to fix, but but the, the, it traded more times than any stock in the U.S. market in potentially wow. in history. Wow. It was trading over 4 million times per day, not, not 4 million shares. It was trading 4 million times per day for perspective. Uh, Apple trades around 300,000 times a day. Uh, Amazon trades about 160,000 times a day. Walmart, 80,000 times a day. GameStop, around 600,000 times a day. And here AMC was trading Eight or four million times. Could you explain that again, Tim? Could you explain that again, please? All all that is is number of instances where shares change hands. Is that it? Each it's each transaction. Yeah. So each time there is a a buy and sell that meets. So how is it possible for something to trade in the limited time that the market is open uh, between you know nine thirty a.m. and four p.m. Eastern time? How is it possible for something to trade four million times? Right. It's, it's a crazy number, and it tells you what's happening behind the scenes. And we've talked about this before on Market Structure Monday, that the reason that can happen is that market makers like Citadel or J.P. Morgan are exempt from the short locate rules. That's Reg SHO 203B2. They are exempt from having to locate shares. So they manufacture stock to fill the immense pipeline of limit buy orders, and then they trade those things thousands of times per second. And they're trying to make a half penny each time. Well, who yeah. wants that, right? So, well, the firms that want that are Citadel and Virtu and Two Sigma and Quant Lab and Hudson River Trading and the stock exchange. The stock exchanges want to promote that as well because they sell data. And what is data? 
It is the consequence of a bunch of trades and everybody's got to consume that data. If you're a broker dealer, you have to have to establish to your customers, big institutions that you're providing best execution. Are you handling the trades? Well, well, where do you think that data comes from? The exchanges sell it at very high prices. So those two things, you know, exchanges and market makers and the short exempt rule is how you end up with situations like AMC trading here. And look, it's not done. I would look at this, you know, this with shorts. This is the, you know, the twelve billion dollar loss that we've been reading about of people who've been short, and it's very difficult. If the market makers are exempt from locating short shares, shorts, you're gonna lose. This is a very dangerous market in which to short things that people know about. Short things people don't know about, you might be okay. But this tells us this run is not over. When this pattern reverses and, and sentiment declines, telling us that supply and demand are equalizing and short volume rises above trend, telling us that supply is increasing faster than demand, price will go down. All right. Let me ask this question and I'm, okay. I'm, I'm going to try and not open up a can of water. Oh, I knew it's coming. <laughs> but at the end of the day, is there any way that anybody can know how much naked short selling is occurring? Well, there is very little naked shorting. And the, and the threshold reports that FINRA requires, not the SEC, FINRA. FINRA is the regulator. It used to be called the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. And you go back, this, this is a combination of the, the NYSE's self-regulatory organization and the NASD, the National Association of Securities Dealers. And that they created the automated quotation system in 1971. That's the NASDAQ. Well, then they combined their regulatory bodies. That became FINRA. And they have it's a bunch of grossly overpaid folks, by the way, that, that you look at their what they get paid, millions of dollars. But uh, this so they regulate these things and they require a threshold report. What stuff has been short and people have not located it and there will be a buy in. It is dominated by ETFs, by the way. It's exactly dominated. what we were just talking about. You know, 78% of them. Bought right. in. That's not the problem. So the people who are trying to look for naked shorting in here are don't understand the way that the stock market works. There is a but we very, just we, if you rewind oh, the tape Tim. the forty Tim. minutes ago, we went into this for twenty minutes, and they're yep. not going to listen, Tim. Yep. I mean, it, it's not naked short <laughs> selling running rampant. That is not. Tell him, Tim. It's not right. naked short selling. It's not naked short selling, and it is not illegal behavior that is leading to this. If you if you want to take if you have a bone to pick with someone. It is the SEC. And I tweeted this. You know, if you're a short seller of AMC, your argument is with the SEC, which exempted the market makers from the law. I've long said, how can a regulatory body that is an executive branch agency exempt some group from a law created by Congress? It's a question that should be asked. But they're the ones that did it. They're the ones who said, if you're Citadel, or Goldman Sachs, you don't have to locate shares. Why? Because they wanted a continuous auction market. They want it to be possible for you as a trader to show up in the market and buy or sell 100 shares of everything at any time. Well, it's a physical impossibility unless a market maker can create shares. So they do. And what we have discovered here in the, in the mean stock era is a huge Achilles heel of the market. Realize this could happen to any stock in the market. And Reddit traders, you should realize this. You could do this to any <laughs> stock, right? You could do it to any stock. It doesn't have to be AMC. 
It could be Apple. They're figuring that out, Tim. Right? Yeah. Figuring well, they, out. They, it's not just, I mean, we've had GameStop, <laughs> right? yeah, AMC, everything right. is getting mm-hmm. run. And you have to be careful as a short seller. You, you obviously have right. to be careful of who's talking about your shorts. I mean, people want to know, what are you shorting, Dennis? What are you shorting? I'm not right. going to disclose the information of what I'm shorting so that people can say, oh, Dennis Dick is short this. Let's go run this up on him. You know, that's your own information. Why would anybody want to disclose their own position unless they're like running pump and dumps, which is running rampant, it seems like, through social media right now. But, you know, I don't want to disclose my positions, especially if they're short, because we saw what happened to um, to, to Citron. Andrew left. I mean, right. when he originally disclosed the GameStop and everybody got angry and they ran it up on him. Right. So, right. I mean, it is a dangerous game and we're not coming in here advocating for everybody to get in the short selling game. You've got to know what you're doing. But short selling does serve purposes here, Tim. I want to hear you say it, too, because I was saying short selling is what keeps the market efficient. Without short selling, the market pricing uh, mechanism all continues to break down because the majority of your liquidity is actually provided by short sellers. No question. And the data show us this every day. And I'm just going to make a little plug for you traders. You can see up here on my screen. You go to app.marketstructureedge.com and you can register and use this because this is the point. You want to know when these conditions exist. And to my knowledge, we have the only platform that will tell you this. Uh, Yes, short selling has long been a great regulator for... uh, untoward behavior in capital markets. And I would submit to you that the SEC, by exempting market makers from the, the, from require, from the requirement that you be able to locate short shares to borrow within a window, or you have to cover them, that by doing so, they are distorting the market's capability to tell us whether there is trouble in the market. And, and it should bother us as traders. It absolutely serves a purpose. I am never opposed to short selling. I thought it was a mistake when we suspended the uh, when shorting and the uptick rule during the financial crisis. We, in and, and that was a mistake, Tim. I have the it's stats on that. I actually yep. did. I, I ran the stats for Bright Trading yep. and I wrote it up. And stats during that three-week ban, so here's something. During the three-week ban where they banned, and people don't yep. know this because there may be newer traders, back in 2008, During the financial crisis, there was this worry that short selling was killing the market. They actually banned short selling on all financial stocks for three weeks. And then they realized the liquidity dried up. You know what happened on the first day, Tim? There was a whole bunch of buy and balances. All these financial stocks gapped up on the close because there was nobody to short, nobody to provide liquidity to that. And then they all collapsed the next day. And and the end result was the stock market during that three weeks fell 18% and the financials fell 23%. The financials fell more despite not being allowed to have short selling on them. And they realized, you know, we just messed with all free market mechanics here. And this is, isn't working. And they pulled it three weeks later. So we had a real life experiment about banning short selling altogether. And yep. it did not work. There you go. The, the, uh, I think the, the, you know, the millions of unfettered minds making uh, decisions that involve risk is far and away the best regulatory mechanism we can have. It's True. far superior to a bunch of bureaucrats who receive a paycheck no matter what happens and who have no risk at all when they make decisions like that. I am always opposed to that notion, and it's just basic common sense. You want people who have risk to make the decision about things that are occurring in the market. 
All right, Tim uh, GWS says in the chat is his uh, breadth of knowledge is incredible. I completely agree. Joins us every Monday for Market Structure Mondays. You can learn more, uh, find out more. His platform, the link. Is we all know. I only know market structure. I'm an idiot about a bunch of other stuff. Well, so it's only this. <laughs> you do very well for yourself, Tim, and we love you. <laughs> Back at you. Love you guys. All right. Thanks. So just, week. just one other thing. Yeah. I just wanted yeah, yeah, to add about. You know, uh, uh, no, no, for Tim. No, I just wanted to thank you. I just wanted to uh, make some comments on the chat too. It just as far as like what Dennis is shorting and stuff. A lot of times he's hedged against the index. So right. he has trading hedge positions and also the way he trades, you know, the size of shares and everything. It's like, it. it's like it's, you're wasting your time doing that and thinking about that strategy. But Tim, great talking to you. I didn't get to guess as many stocks this time, but uh, we've only covered three stocks the whole show. Anyway. I mean, I mean, it's been a good segment though. It's been a yeah, lot excellent. of education here. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of people who, you know, their narrative, you know, is being debunked here. Tim said the same thing. It's not a good short sign, but in, in any regards, you know, I've got a lot of hate going on here because there's a lot of AMC lovers. I'm trying to tell you, I'm not the person giving AMC hate here. I'm not, I'm, I didn't say go short the stock. I'm not short AMC stock. I'm the one that said last week it could continue to go higher, but people think I'm an AMC hater. They want to believe what they believe. And, you know, I just think it's a fascinating stock to talk about. But, you know, I want to, you know, I'm trying to just give you, you know, what our, our reasoning behind, you know, that, you know, this whole naked short selling, you know, um, narrative that's being tossed out there isn't correct. So we're just trying to help the traders better understand and educate traders. So anyways, that's everybody it. hates me in the chat. I mean, not everybody. 90% of people seem to give me some love, but 10% really voice their opinion about how much they dislike me. So, okay, all good. I, wait, well, we have three minutes before uh, 9 o'clock. Can I take a second, uh, since we haven't discussed holding your stocks anyway, w- w- why why discuss more at this point? Can I take a second, <laughs> can I take okay. a second and announce the winner of, of our Tesla giveaway? Oh, yeah, do that. Yeah, I, I can do that? Okay, I'm going to do that right now. I'm gonna, uh, can I get a drum roll, please, producer? So, as you guys recall, we were doing a contest. When we cross 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, we're going to give away a free share of Tesla. We spammed the link. It was in every description of every video. It was in the chat four times a day. You could have entered by doing a number of things. We had a lot of entries. We had uh, thousands and thousands of entries. The winner of the free share of Tesla is Gilbert Leal from, Gilbert! from Brownsville, Texas. Gilbert, I have your email. I'll be emailing you. I'm going to announce this. If you're, if you're not watching now, it'll be announced throughout the day as well. But Gilbert, congratulations! Leo, Texas gets a free share of Tesla. Nice. What day? What close? What, what was the closing price? Well, he gets a share no matter what, so it's worth oh, five hundred ninety-six dollars. Really right yeah, it doesn't really matter what price. <laughs> he's getting the share. He's getting five hundred ninety-six bucks right now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll be emailing you, Gilbert. Stay tuned, and we'll. If you're not watching, then you're not going to know. This. Hopefully, he is. We'll we'll, we'll we'll announce it throughout the day. All right, it is eight fifty-eight here. Um, did you guys see Bezos is going to space? Did yeah, you, he's yeah. got some guts, eh? Yeah. yeah, well, Joel he, says he wouldn't do it. Yeah. I kind of want to do it, but yeah, I want I don't want to be like the first group. It's like even when the vaccination, I wasn't the one of the first people I got, <laughs> although I had no choice, but I wasn't in the trial. Joel was going to go in the trial though for the vaccine, so maybe Joel would you go to space? <laughs> I, 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 I would do what he's doing. I'm going up north this weekend. 
that counts. No, he Bezos is going like sixty miles into space. He's not like orbiting Earth or anything. That's what I think. Like we're all going to be able to do one day is go like just beyond the precipice into space, just a smidge, and then come back down. So he's not like he's not pulling a John Glenn and going around, but. Um, it, it, it would be just an awesome experience, but I think I'd get like I get nauseous when I'm on a helicopter, so I yeah. probably couldn't handle being in a rocket ship. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, yeah. Short, short Amazon here. I don't know. Uh, he's, uh, it's, I it's mean, trading range. You're not I mean, allowed to short. Shorting is evil. Yeah, yeah, no, we are never going to make mention meant, short selling again. I meant I meant buy puts on Amazon. I'm banning resistance on this. They're going to ban. They're, they're going to not Dennis, want you to buy puts anymore either. Dennis, no reason. We can't talk resistance. Every stock that we look at, you only just buy stocks. You're not allowed to sell anymore. And support. That's all we're giving is support because resistance. Resistance is evil too. Uh, I, I I think I can't. We can't even no. talk resistance anymore. Sell calls on a, I don't know. I'm, they I say all we do is I'm cry, Joel. I, know, I think man. I cried once on the show here today, but apparently, when you just you know give commentary contrary to somebody's opinion, it's deep. I don't know uh, why they come. I don't know what really seriously. Uh, they're here to if troll they us. Don't like the content. They like to troll us. <laughs> Jesus, Murphy. Well, good. Well, we well. love you, trolls too. You know what? We'll give you the love. You give us hate. We'll give you love. We love all you guys. <laughs> love the haters. We'll love the haters. <laughs> Without the haters, there wouldn't be that much. It wouldn't be as fun. Yeah. So we love you guys. We love Makes the haters. Market. All don't right, guys. I'm hopping off. We don't like the premarketprep.com. They actually do between five and 50 stocks since we only covered three here today. So join me over Arbel, there, folks. SFI we love you. Love, love and kisses. AFC has a crazy special dividend. It went X4. How do you do um, hugs and kisses uh, emoji on here? Hugs and kisses. We love hugs and kisses. That's what I want. That's the emoji I want. All right. Joel, Joel's in a good mood. That 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 makes me happy. I'll see you guys later. Uh, yeah, guys, if you're in chat, whether you love us or not, I guess just drop us a like. If you want to dislike us, that that's fine, too. It doesn't really, you know, it is what it is. But uh, thanks for all the participation. Dennis, thank you. Uh, Joel, thank you. Um yeah, just one of those days, guys. We cover like two stocks. I'm sorry, it happens. Uh, we'll we'll cover more stocks throughout the day, um, obviously. But let's talk IPOs for a second here. We do a segment every single Monday where I bring on Matt Hammond from IPO Warriors, and Matt essentially will recap last week and what he traded as far as IPOs and what what worked and what didn't, and then preview this week uh, what to expect and how he's thinking about trading the IPOs for this week. So let's bring Matt on right now. Matt, good morning. Welcome back. How are we doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Spencer? Doing well, doing well. Let's talk some IPOs. Definitely. Uh, we're going to make up for the uh, low number of tickers yes. we got to early this morning with a full slate of IPOs this week. All right, let's do and it. So you got the... Uh, first, we're going to talk about last week. And uh, there was just one last week. It was D-Local. Uh, we talked about them being a pretty high conviction play and we got a uh, whoop, left little percentage off there, 25% potential win here. Uh, but you did have to be patient and I like to take profits if I can take profits, at least partially on the position because you never go broke taking profits and you really want to stay out of that mental habit of looking at a trade where you could have made more money, where you made money, but you could have made more. And kicking yourself, you know, for not making more, you should be happy with any profits. This is just money in your pocket. So despite being a very high conviction play, it fell out a little bit of the gate. It debuted at 30 it, or 31, and it dropped down to 29.80. 
but we had a few hints that it might come back. For one, it was having trouble like on Webull, it wasn't even tradable. And you see this with IPOs, sometimes the tickers, you know, for whatever reason, won't work on a certain platform. We had this uh, the week before with figs on E-Trade. The first 10 minutes after it opened, E-Trade forgot or whatever to make it tradable. And if you tried to enter a trade, it said this stock is currently suspended with Webull on DLO. When you tried to make an order on the first day, this entire time here, you just got uh, this ticker is invalid. Uh, so a lot of Webull traders were stuck on it. Anyway, when it first dropped, we had very strong resistance here at 30. And with the high conviction, you just hold on this. But when we did get this initial run up, that's when I took profit. I said, look, I don't want to be sitting here all day. I don't want to be nervous. I don't want to be uh, feeling regret over here in the next morning. I just want to take my profit. Um, so I got out here at 32.70, which was a nice win. Uh, I was playing with a pretty large uh, volume of shares. So um, took about a 4%, 5% win quickly. And even the next morning, there was, I had my finger on the trigger here to maybe buy in again under 31, but I was watching a few other trades. I was day trading AI and playing Sens. Um, but if you did hold for that day two run, you had so many opportunities to take wins here. And uh, you got to love this kind of setup. It gives you almost no opportunity to take a loss unless you panic sold at the very beginning. Or if you, again, panic sold in the morning of day two, uh, you had pretty ideal setup to, to, to take potentially a 25% win. So one thing that I do want to show you here is because people ask me, how do I know when to sell? Well, there's a couple of ways to do it. One is to say, look, I'm going to take, uh, you know, I'm just going to play by an exit strategy of letting it get into profit and then setting a stop loss and then raising that stop loss as the stock keeps ticking higher. When you get a run like this, it's a perfect setup for it. You let it pass 31, which is your break even. Uh, it dipped a little bit back under that, which is expected. A lot of people probably sold out when they got broke even. Uh, but it very quickly, you know, cupped back up into a profitable trade. And you could have trailing stop lost your way out pretty much all the way up to about 33. Uh, for me, I was watching this. And when it got back up to 31, I'm mentally going, okay, there's going to be resistance there. I'm watching level two data. And I'm also watching RSI. When RSI gets above 70, that's an indication that's oversold. Uh, when it dips over here and really makes a run over it, now it's at RSI 80. It was over at, up to about 86 while the stock reached 32. Uh, 32, there was some resistance right around here. Then it broke through. And once it starts hitting that second full number, we all know that those end, act as sort of mental upper resistance levels. Once it got close to that, I didn't really want to be stuck in the elevator down. So I set my stop loss really tight here inched it up, inched it up, inched it up, and got stopped out at 32.70, which was a nice win. And again, you're not going to go pro taking profits. You don't need to like torture yourself and say, oh, if I had held till day two. Yeah, if you had held till day two, maybe you you know make a much bigger profit. But you know what? You, you've got money in your pocket. There's other trades to make. You know, Enjoy your week. Relax a little. Be happy you didn't lose money. Keep playing enough of these while you're you know making money without taking any big losses. And those wins are going to add up. I'm doing incredibly well over this year. I think the last few weeks here, every one of the high conviction plays we've called out is giving you an opportunity, opportunity to take profits. So with that being said, let's jump into the slate for this week. 
This week, we have a Chinese IPO, Zhangmen Education on the 8th. We have Marketa on uh, the 9th, Zeta Global Holdings on the 10th. The 10th is actually going to be a fully loaded day, and that's something we want to think about. Uh, there are a certain subset of traders who play IPOs, and it's really hard to play them all. So you kind of want to choose maybe the best one or two of the day and try to play those. So we got Zeta Global Holdings, First Dibs, Monday.com, Lifestance Health, and then on Friday, we've got Task Us. And of course, we are on kind of alert for a stealth IPO right now. These stealth IPOs do come out of nowhere. It's been a couple of weeks. They seem to like to spread them out and they like to hide them uh, amongst kind of crowded weeks. So come Friday, definitely be looking out for some. There are a couple that are sort of past due or you know, indicating that we might be needing to pay a little extra attention to them. And I'll just mention those quickly at the end here since we don't really know if they even exist or not. That's the nature of the stealth IPO. So Jiangman Education. This is a Chinese IPO, but there's nothing stealth about it. This is underwritten by I think Morgan Stanley and uh, Credit Suisse. So they're not trying to hide this. They are trying to promote this. Uh, this is a soft bank backed Chinese tutoring service, online and offline courses. So I haven't had lived in China for about 10 years. So I understand that education is incredibly competitive in China. They start kids doing insane amounts of homework and extracurricular out of, you know, extra class time in China as soon as the kids are about five years old. It's gotten so bad that regulators are starting to impose curbs on the education, on out, you know, extracurricular education, because students are just getting burned out and parents are competing so hard um, that it's kind of causing psychological problems for students. So the education industry in China is super hot, but in the last months, some of the bigger education plays, uh, some of them that are backed by Tencent, some of them are backed by other, uh, by Baidu, uh, that scheduled IPOs are now starting to kind of step back and say, hmm, is this the right environment to do an IPO? And there's been a little bit of a backlog building up and Jiangmen is going to be sort of the litmus test for the market. So I like that they're soft bank backed. Uh, I like that they're profitable. Margins are kind of shrinking, partly due to COVID, um, partly due to regulation. But this is a really low float. We got 3.6 you know, million shares. And to me, you know, Chinese IPO, low float, soft bank backed. Um, I like this one. I, I want to play this one. And we could very easily see this go into a series of halts. Uh, if we don't get those halts, though, I uh, probably want to get out uh, just with whatever means by whatever means necessary, whether that's a low balled limit order or a market order. Uh, when these don't run, it's usually kind of bad news. So watch for the open very closely. If you get those halts, cool. Uh, start taking some position out on each halt and you know leave some, let it ride. Some of these have you know 9x, 10x um, over the first day. So, and that's not just the stealth IPOs, but when you see a low float Chinese IPO, you got to get excited for the, for the potential there. Okay. The next one is probably the hottest, um, IPO in terms of what I think of as a good IPO play. And this is Marketa. Uh, Marketa does a uh, technology solution for credit cards and debit cards, uh, for basically, you know, non visa and MasterCard. Uh, financial institutions to offer their own kind of, you know, both virtual and real, you know, plastic cards and incentive programs. 
Uh, their largest customer is Square, and Square has been a super hot stock. Uh, the cash, their cash flow positive, 123% revenue growth. The float is pretty big, so uh, but that hasn't been such a problem in a lot of these IPOs. And I like this, especially for a day two run. This one will get that media cycle overnight. You got other buyers showing up after they heard about it. And it's got a lot of, it plays into a lot of factors that have been kind of hype words, buzzwords that have, and, and just industries that have done really well. These payment IPOs, online payment IPOs have done really well. Uh, D, you know, D-Lo last week, uh, Pay Mentis. We had a bunch that have done really well, and I want to I want to be in this one, Marquetta. Uh, Zeta Global Holdings. This is a global digital marketing firm that basically does digital marketing for large enterprise clients. Uh, it doesn't lose money. It doesn't make a lot of money. It has been growing revenue, twenty five percent. The float's pretty average. I'm not particularly excited about this one. I see it as kind of could go up, could go down. I don't think there's going to be as much excitement as Marquetta. So I probably want to, and it's the same day. So I want to put my attention on that one. We'll be monitoring this one just as kind of taking mental notes and understanding what they do, but it's not, um, it's not something that I think is particularly exciting. First dibs.com. This is an online luxury goods retailer. It pretty much connects uh, luxury design buyers uh, with luxury designers. It's not profitable. The growth has not been spectacular. Uh, and we really haven't seen e-commerce plays do particularly well uh, right off their IPO. Um, Poshmark, Copang, Honest Company, they offered little wins, but they had huge drawdowns. If you held too long, they almost all of them crashed back down. The only thing making this sort of interesting is the low float, which is 5.75 million shares. But I think it's a pretty crowded IPO calendar that day, so I'll probably pass on this one. Okay, Monday.com. I think most of us have heard of Monday.com. They've been spending a lot of money on advertising, both on the radio, on TV, certainly YouTube uh, commercials. And it's, you know, it's work management, it's project management. Uh, they consider it more of a work OS, like a development platform. And that's kind of how they're trying to spin it as a little bit different than, say, Asana but they're all pretty similar. They're cloud-based software as a service. Uh, they compete in a pretty crowded marketplace. And the pricing of this IPO makes me kind of hesitant to want to play it. When you've got any stock, I know that it's about valuation. I know how this works. Um, but when you bring out a price tag of $124 to $140, there's a lot of room for that to go down. And you know, if I'm playing with 1,000 shares or 500 shares, I'm really paying attention to how many dollars, you know, can I make on each one? Yes, percentages matter, but I want to make, uh, you know, I want to be in a position where there's more room for it to go up than for it to go down. There's a really low float on this, uh, just 3.7 million shares. So it is interesting that they decided to go with a low float and a high share price instead of, you know, balancing out a little bit more. Um, when I compare this to Asana, which is probably their most direct competitor, uh, Asana did not have a great direct, you know, they did a direct listing, did not have a great performance off the debut, uh, certainly dipped, you know, over the next kind of week or two after the debut, but it has recovered since then. So maybe people look at this as, okay, well, the world is, you know, we're in recovery now, but people still need online uh, management. Certainly workforces have spread out and diversified their locations. A lot of them have decided not to go back to 
physical offices and monday.com is in a good position to you know to take advantage of this but that price that price just to me means i can only buy you know a handful of shares i think that means the same thing for other people and if i do play this it will not be with a full position but maybe as a maybe 100 shares see what i you know see what happens but um, I'm a little bit skeptical of it. Okay, then we have Life Stance Health. This one's interesting because it's online mental health services, which is a bit like Teladoc for psychological, um, you know, diseases, sicknesses, whatever, uh, support. A lot of people during coronavirus have been experiencing depression. They've been experiencing unhappiness. Their lives have been shaken up. Um, and that's on top of already kind of growing market for health services, for mental health services. So they've grown 95% uh, year over year, you know, compared to the same period last year in the last three months, ending March 31st, 2021. Uh, the float is pretty big, but this one's an interesting play, and I think it'll get a lot of attention, and I think it will get uh, kind of an overnight media cycle as well. I uh, probably won't do a full play on this, especially if Marquetta uh, really performs well, and I'm holding that overnight. But um, I'm going to probably be gauging a little bit of the hype and buzz on social media in regular media who's getting the headlines checking out google graph uh, or google trends the day before and seeing like is this on people's radar or is you know monday.com which ones are um you know which ones are getting the most attention because that retail demand is what drives those day one and day two pops so that's what we're going to be looking for um friday we have task us TaskUs does digital outsourcing for large corporations. Revenues up 33%. Um, pretty low float. So this one is interesting to me. I am, however, always hesitant to play Friday IPOs. Uh, day traders don't like to be in their positions over the weekends, especially. So if this does get a pop, uh, you sometimes won't see it sustained till the end of the day. Uh, again, I'm going to be gauging this a bit on social media. This is not one that I want to be stuck in you know, next week sometime if volume kind of evaporates and you're trying to like jock your way out of a position without, you know, a lot of volume to back it up. It's a position I don't really like to be in. And, you know, things can change a lot between a Monday and Friday. When the market is hot, uh, when it's too hot, we see these IPOs debut, debut at prices that are, you know, don't leave a lot of room for it to continue upwards. Uh, we especially saw that last year and towards the end of last year where some of these not so, I mean, Poshmark was one where it debuted at almost 100% of the IPO price and it just didn't leave it much room to, you know, to go up further from there. Bumble was, I think, at one of the peaks of that and it did get a little bit of a pop, but it felt it had a lot of room to fall afterwards. And we've seen a lot more reasonable pricing of the IPOs this year. I think the debut price is something like 20% down compared to last year uh, and the IPO prices are down as well. So we're seeing companies come to market with a little bit more opportunity for the retail buyer to get a position uh, that has more of an upside potential and less of uh, a potential for it to fall 20, 30%. So I like these, I like being in these plays, actually almost all of the IPOs, I'd say about 80 to 90% of the IPOs over the last few weeks have given you an opportunity to take, you know, five to 10% wins or greater. And the name of the game is just be in the game, show up to the party, you know, and if you have the patience to hold a little bit, you're not usually getting burned. And when in that environment, 
I want to play these and I want to get in. I want to uh, watch the stock and take my profits and not worry about maybe having missed out on profits that, that I could have taken. And that's something that other people ask me. They say, okay, Matt, well, how long, how much time are you? Cause it seems like you spend all day, you know, trading these. And that's true. You do. Uh, you are watching these. I'd say the, the three questions I get the most often are what time does it start trading? Uh, how much is it going to cost? And you know, when, how do I know when to sell? Um, the first one is you really don't know what time it's going to debut. You can kind of guesstimate that on the smaller low float ones, they usually try to get those out the door between 10 and 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern time. The more popular big name ones typically don't go live until about noon to one o'clock Eastern time. So but those are very rough estimations. And you really do need, I sit here and I'm you know live trading them in my Reddit uh, thread over here. You can see Reddit IPO Warriors. Join us over there. Uh, we're calling out the indication price. We're talking about where we're setting our limit orders. We're talking about, you know, kind of like, it's like pregame. If you if you like the Super Bowl, you don't just show up, for, you know, the kickoff. You like to see the, you know, the parades and the pregame interviews and the uh, the color commentary, all that stuff. And I do get excited about these. And I kind of am mentally preparing myself and talking about what our strategies are so that once the stock does debut, we have some idea of what we're going to do. Or I have like a game plan before I start. Uh, the second one about the price, what's it going to start trading at? Well, that usually we can pick that up through uh, various apps that we're using. Uh, Benzinga Pro is often giving us kind of news feeds on updates on what the indication price is. Sometimes they can get us a little hint on when it might start trading. And, you know, we're keeping our limit orders either just above or just below, or, you know, there's different entry strategies, but generally we're keeping our limit orders just above the date, the indication price so that when it does debut, we're just getting filled right away. That puts us in the position to, you know, take shares in the optimal position uh, condition that the stock just goes straight up. And this is especially uh, important for the low float Chinese IPOs, the stealth IPOs, these ones that just go straight up and just go on through a series of halts. So that's the second question. The third one is when to sell. Well, that's kind of up to you, but we've talked about a bunch of different strategies on this show. Uh, if you sign up for the newsletter at ipowarriors.com, I'm kind of giving you a little bit more information on how I might play each one, uh, usually with either a trailing stop loss or a target, you know, 10% or a target at, you know, whole numbers. If it goes to 32, 33. Uh, if it started at 31 or 30, you know, these kind of resistance levels. Um, so that's where I'm usually trying to take profits. And those are what I like about IPO trades. Like I've said before, they take out the real question of, well, when do I enter the trade? If you're trying to learn day trading and you've never done it before, you know, the biggest challenge is really like, well, when do I buy? You know, I, how do I find stocks before they spike? Cause you don't want to buy after the spike with IPOs, the spike, nothing's really happened. You're buying on that spike on the debut. We expect there to be some premium from the IPO. PO price to the debut price, but we're kind of getting in on the level playing field and you're removing that decision from the equation. You're saying, okay, I'm going to start when it starts. Now I just have to think about where do I exit? So, you know, IPO trades have been very lucrative to me. They're kind of a sim simpler way to learn to trade and, you know, the profits are in the, and the trading uh, timeline is usually one or two days. So, uh, the last one is just stealth, stealth IPOs on the watch are GSUN and CPOP. Uh, 
doesn't really matter what they do. What I'm looking for is Chinese IPOs with a low float of about 5 million shares and a price indicated about $4 to $5. They're almost always indicated at 4 four to $5. And we're looking for specific underwriters. They're all kind of, and it's funny, they are associated with each other, but they're Boasted Securities, uh, Sutter Financial, and Network One Financial. Those are three of the ones that we're looking for. And I've got my, you know, my Google notifications. I've got my kind of my, my checklist of different sites to look at. And every morning I'm looking at them and, you know, when they show up, I'll send out the newsletter, let everyone know. So sign up at ipowarriors.com, get the notifications, get the trading strategies and, um, you know, let's go make some money with IPOs. All right, Matt Hammond, IPOWarriors.com. Thanks a lot, man. A lot of busy week. We had a very light light week last week, but a busy, busy week this week. I'm very excited to see how this all plays out. Do, do any of these stand out to you as uh, as more well, interesting? I, I haven't heard of most of them. I mean, I, I've heard of Monday, and that's pretty yeah. much the one that I've heard of. And, and like to your point, yeah, I mean, these are kind of like if you're into it, it is kind of like a, like a mini Super Bowl, right? For for the ones that we've heard of, right? For the ones that yeah. that people know about and, and have brand awareness of. But for these other ones, like that Chinese education one is actually very interesting. That I, I'm gonna have my eye on that one because that that space is uh <laughs> is extremely volatile. So yeah. thanks for bringing that up. Cool. Have a good. Right. Thanks, Spencer. All right. Have a good one, Matt. Uh, Matt Hammond, IPOWarriors.com. That's going to be a wrap for our show today. Please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes and not for investing or training advice. Here is a schedule for the day. We've got live trading the open with David Green starting right now. We've got SPACs attack at 11, uh, the power hour at noon. Um, all you AMC apes should probably tune into the Power Hour today because uh, Matt Kors will be on the show. If you don't know Matt Kors, you're not an ape. What can I say? Uh, Matt Kors will be on uh, as well as, and this is also a big get, Sandy Monroe. If you are into Tesla, if you are a Tesla, really, if you're a Tesla bull or a bear, quite frankly, um, you should know Sandy Monroe. This guy probably knows more about Tesla than like 99 99.9% of people out there. The guy is a, is a, is a Tesla expert uh, for the good and the bad knows a lot about the company and the cars. He'll be on with Jason Rasnick at 1230 today. So a chock full hour from 12 to one. We got get technical at one moon or bust at two o'clock. We got the at the close show is back. We got trend spider at five money. Mitch got a, a full slate today. We are back. With our usual programming, everyone, please hit that like button. And uh, David Green, live trading starting right now. Everyone, good luck at the open. Good luck in your trades. And I will see you later. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts 
to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.